0: All right, take your copy of God's Word this morning and make your way to Philippians, Paul's letter to the church at Philippi in Asia Minor. And uh, chapter one, and we're only going to look at the introduction today. Now, let me just put this out there. Uh, We are going to be doing a series through Paul's letter to the church at Philippi. And my daughter-in-law said, amen this is courtney's favorite book a favorite letter of scripture and um we're gonna we're gonna go through this for all of us amen it's a a wonderful letter now here's what i'm not going to do today i'm not going to give you my customary introduction when we start a new uh, section of the scripture i will do that next sunday but i will not do that this sunday this sunday instead seeing that it's communion sunday I'm just going to go right to the introduction, which is which really just comprises two verses. And uh, as I said, I put a little post on social media last night, encouraging people to come. Apparently, that didn't work, but that's okay. You're here. (laughs) Um, And what I said in there, so many times, we we just just think about it. When you open up a, a, a book of the Bible, a letter here in the epistles. We just kind of read right over those introductory verses so we can get to the good stuff. Don't we do that? Well, I want to tell you there's a lot of good stuff in those introductions. And, and I hope with God's help today uh, to bring that out and show you exactly what I mean. I've entitled this teaching today as we, again, I, I, I developed this with an eye towards uh, celebrating communion here in just a moment. Um, but I've entitled it Slaves, Saints, and Shepherds. Slaves, Saints, and Shepherds. What's that? Servants? Well, it's the same thing. (laughs) And and I'm the same one that did that, so that tells you how good my memory is, so you know how to better pray for your pastor. Um, Yeah, you can change it to shepherds, or you can leave it. Actually, it's shepherds, servants. It's it's one, it's, uh, one descriptor there. So, with that in mind today, there are three descriptions here of the identity of a disciple of Christ. How many times have you, we were talking about sharing Jesus without fear this morning earlier, how many times have you met someone or someone has met you or the question either you have posed or has been posed to you, are you a Christian? Has Has that ever happened to you? Have you ever asked somebody that? Yeah. The problem is today, that word christian which by the way is used very modestly in the new testament i don't quote me on this i, I probably need to go best someone can fact check me i think only 3 times the word christian is used in the in the new testament it's not a lot you know what words used all the time disciple and and i've just tried to replace christian with disciple because a lot of people I meet are you christian oh yeah but if you ask them this question, are you a disciple of Jesus Christ? They're going to stop and think about that one, right? Uh, so that's why I use that term here. Uh, but here we get three uh, descriptions of the identity of a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ. And they are a slave, a saint, and a shepherd servant. Now, those, the first and the last are very similar, you will note, and they are and yet there are some differences. But they all describe the same person, the same identity. There are also in here three prepositional phrases that are attached to these three identities. Of Christ, in Christ, and from Christ. And all of these phrases highlight God's work in uniting us to himself through his son, Jesus Christ. Um, And by the way, these are glorious truths to look into as we invite these truths to look into us. We will use this as a mirror of our own souls this morning. They should also produce in a child of God an unquenchable desire to talk to God about these glorious facts of our identity and the fact that He did it all for us. He he did all of the work. So we will, in fact, at the end of... the the teaching today be called to do just that to personally each person to take a moment and pray through these two verses so with that in mind join me as we look into the first aspect of a disciple of king jesus and the first aspect is that we are slaves let me read the scripture to you as it is written in philippians 1 paul's customary and not so customary opening paul and timothy bond servants of jesus christ to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons. Second verse says this, Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Again, customary introduction. We tend to just fly right over that to get to what the scriptures actually say. And I would caution you not to do that this morning. So let's look at it. First of all, he says we are slaves. Number one, we are slaves. Paul and Timothy, and he includes Timothy in here, bondservants of Jesus Christ. Now, I know you look at that and you say, Pastor, it doesn't say slave. It says bondservant. Um, it's the same word. It's the, it's the Greek word doulos. And, and, and let me tell you what. If it, First century, as, as, as Epaphroditus delivers this letter, to the church at Philippi, when they read it in their language, they did not read servant. They saw doulos, and they thought what? Slave. Slave. Now, you know how it got translated bond servants? It just so happened that when these translations were happening, was the time in our history right after we had come out of, or were in the battle to come out of, England came out first, and then we followed, come out of this whole thing of, of, of this chattel slavery, which was an evil on the face of the earth. It was a sinful thing that was engaged, in. it was not the same kind of slavery. Uh, that is talked about in the New Testament here or used as a bond slave. So we had come out of that and we wanted to distance ourselves as far as we could and as fast as we could from the idea of slavery. So we used a a term that was more um, acceptable to then modern society, which was servant. But it means slave. No matter how you slice it, a doulos was a slave. Um, And and I found a beautiful quote here by J. uh, Alec Moitier. Here's what he said. It'll come up on the screen. He said, a slave was bought with a price. Bought with a price. It is completely at the disposal of the purchaser to do his bidding. A self-willed, idle, or disobedient slave, listen to how he puts this, is a contradiction in terms. And that's some A self-willed, idle, or disobedient slave, especially in this context of the first century, is a contradiction in terms. So what we've got to understand is the type of slavery that's introduced here. A bond server, a bond slave, a doulos, was oftentimes someone who willingly chose to continue in the service of, of their master uh, most of the time or a lot of the times um, this slave was either purchased from the slave market or more likely was an indentured servant in other words I owed this guy money I couldn't pay so my family and I moved onto his property worked his land didn't, you know we became his servants until our debt was paid and then I would I would have my freedom oftentimes at the end of that process that person realized hey you know what my family and i are way better off serving this man than 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 i could do for myself and i know your american ears hear that offensively well i got a news flash for you god is not an american and some of us need to understand that god is not an american he's god and he made america and how many are glad he made america i am right but he's not an american God is God, (laughs) right? We hear that, and it's like, wait a minute. This makes no sense whatsoever. Why would someone want to continue in willing slavery? Because their options were better as a servant of a good man than they were out there on their own attached to nobody. Matter of fact, it was said that this kind of slavery was not drudgery, but delight in the first century. So when we hear the word slave, and we automatically get a little prickly, they would hear this particular word for slave and it would to them be a delight because it meant two things. It meant a godly, righteous, kind, loving master who is helping to better not just one person but an entire family. We don't see it that way but again, be careful, beloved, that we are not interpreting scriptures through American glasses or through cultural glasses, whatever culture you're from. Um, so, so this is a thought. Where do we get this from? Well, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, just jot that down. Uh, here's what the scriptures, this is Paul again talking, his letter to the church of Corinth. He says this, or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you? Now notice this, whom you have from God, look at this, look at this last phrase, say it with me, and you are not your own. So somebody needs to hear that today. If, if you have repented of your sin and put your faith in Jesus, you gave up all rights to you when that happened. You signed over the papers. You became the bond slave of Jesus Christ. Look what he says as he finished it. He says, here's why. Here's the proof. Because you were bought with a price. A price. It cost something. He says, therefore, because you were glorified God in your body and in your spirit which are, here's the possessive, gods. Your body, your spirit, other, that's another way, of, that's a New Testament way, first century way of saying, your entire being, your entire being, the immaterial part of you and the material part of you all belong to who, church? God. God. We belong to God. And this is not drudgery. It's delight. We're gods. Amen? You are not your own. You don't belong to you. And the Scriptures say there that you were bought with a what? A price. What, what was that price, church? The blood, the blood of the precious, sinless Son of God. I love how the Chinese evangelist pastors... Um, his name's escaping me. Thank you, Elizabeth. Watchman Nee. Watchman Knee said this. He said, we have no human ability to understand the valuation or the value of the blood of Jesus Christ. He said, what he's saying is we got nothing to compare it to. We cannot come to a proper understanding of the value and the price of the blood of Jesus. And then, then he went on to say this. All we can do, all we have at our disposal is to accept the Father's valuation of the blood of Christ by what it was able to undo and purchase. And that was what? The bride of Christ, the body of Christ. The blood of Christ is so valuable that it was able to cover, pay for, and wipe out, hear me now, all of your sin debt and all of mine. And not just us, of everyone who would ever repent and put their faith in Jesus. That's how valuable the blood is. Can you understand that? And can I understand that? I think I agree with Watchman. It's a big, fat no. But I can accept it. We do not understand the value, the high price with which we have been bought. But let me tell you what, God understands it. Amen? God understands it. So we're slaves. That's the first identity that Paul unloads here. And he says, hey, here, here's who's writing this. It's Paul and Timothy. Now, now, Timothy was really just a companion of Paul. The rest of the letter, Paul writes in the first person. So it's like he's saying, hey, uh, is Timothy and I are here together, and we're in this work together. Probably Timothy was a scribe, very really possibly, that wrote this out. We know Paul had eye problems. Um, so probably Timothy was working as his scribe to write this out. So Timothy is included there. And he says, let me tell you who we are. Here's how we understand ourselves. We're the slaves of God. Amen? We're the slaves of God. Now, if anybody could have had a big head, it, it was Paul. Right? He talks about his education. He had a pristine education in the law of God. He was a... Pharisee of the Pharisees circumcised on the eighth day he had crossed every T and dotted every religious I that could be dotted and he would later say you know what all of that you know what that's worth less than manure it's garbage it's dung I I counted all manure because I have now gained Christ and none of that stuff had anything to do with me gaining Christ isn't that something? So if anyone could have had a big head, it's Paul. And instead he opens up this letter to this little church in Asia Minor. And he says, hey, slave Paul here, slave Timothy here. We're writing. We got, we got some things we want to tell you. We're slaves. All right? We don't have a big head. It's, it, it connotes humility, but it also connotes delight. So I got a question for you. Is that how you see yourself today? And I want you to answer that honestly. Do you, when you think about yourself, when you look at yourself in the mirror, do you think to yourself, "I am this, I am owned by God. God, I'm I'm His slave. I'm the slave of God. I'm His servant. If I'm the servant, then what does that make God? The master. The owner." Right? The one who's, in, I'm not in charge of me. How many of you today, if you could really, if God would through his Holy Spirit, press into your, what's called your perceptual set or the frontal lobe of your thinking. If you could press into the frontal lobe of your thinking, this truth that he is in charge of you and you're not in charge of you, how many of you that would bring instant relief to the things that are concerning you? Nobody? Or nobody raising their hand? Huh? It's, it, would it not? Here's another question. If that was the the way that you thought, if you viewed the entirety of your life through the perceptual set that I am the property of God and God owns me outright, I am the complete servant of King Jesus. That's who I am at the core of who I am. That's my identity. How would that reality have changed the outcome of your last temptation? And you say, well, what do you mean? You can probably think of the last time you were tempted. It was probably on the way to church this morning, right? If you're anything like me. The last time you were tempted to be angry. The last time you were tempted to speak harshly. The last time you were tempted to take a second look. The last time you were tempted to feel sorry for yourself. Think of that last temptation. The last time you were tempted to doubt God's control of your future. The last time you were tempted. What if, as that temptation presented itself to you, you were reminded by God's Spirit, you're my servant. You're my slave. I have bought you with the precious blood of Christ. You're not your own. So you don't get to go in there and do what your flesh is wanting to do. You have the opportunity to go in there and do what my spirit is calling you to do. How would the outcome of that temptation change? Did you fall into that temptation? Did you sin? Would you have sinned if you had of the mindset, I am the slave of God? I think not. Anybody with me this morning? Here's the second one. He calls them saints. So here, we're Paul and Timothy, we're the slaves of of Jesus Christ. And then he says this to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Saints. That word saints in the Greek is hagios. And that's the root word of that, literally, is where we get the word holy. Hagios, saints, literally means holy ones separated ones sanctified set apart special that's who we are Um, are there any saints today well here's how we here's how we think of saints and i think this is a slick trick of the enemy and 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 how many of you know satan works through our culture amen you believe that i think satan likes to mess with certain words He's taken this beautiful word, love, and he's degraded it down into a physical act between two people who don't even know each other. So love has become lust. And, and unfortunately, whenever we hear love, we think lust because of this, this fallen culture that we live in. You, you tracking with me? I think this word here is another one, this word, uh, saint. Because you know what? Even in the church, I think Satan has co-opted this word. You know who's a saint? When we think of a saint, someone that's too old to sin anymore. They just don't have the energy to sin. Think, oh, she's a dear old saint of God, right? Isn't that who we think of, right? You know who we should be thinking of as saint? Us, if we've repented of our sin and put our faith in Jesus Christ. You are called a saint. What is the opposite of a saint? A sinner. A sinner. So I'm going to ask yourself a question. By the way, these are both identity words. That's why we've got to be super careful with them. The opposite of a saint is a what church? Sinner. Sinner. So I want to ask you a question. Which are you? Are you a saint? Or are you a sinner? I have no doubt there's people in this room today that are probably sinners. And some of you think you're saints and you're not. And only only God can wake you up to that reality. But here's the deal. Stop calling yourself by who you were and start calling yourself by what you are. I used to be a sinner. But because of the blood of Jesus that purchased me and the faith that was granted to me and the repentance that was given to me as a beautiful gift, I was allowed to turn away from my sin and embrace Jesus Christ's death, burial, resurrection, and ascension on my behalf. And that my identity as a sinner ended that day. My identity as a saint began. Don't call yourself by the name and identity of who you were. Start calling yourself by the identity that you are now. We are not sinners. We are saints who sometimes sin. Hopefully, less and less by the grace of God. So, this identity as a saint is qualified and defined by this prepositional phrase, in Christ. In Christ. We notice in the first one, a slave, Paul and Timothy were the slaves of Jesus Christ. Here, Paul says, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi. Now this, this, word is, this phrase is interesting. This is what is called in English grammar, a locative preposition, or they would say a locative preposition. What does that mean? It is a preposition, a phrase that answers the question, where are you? So if I asked you this morning, where are you? What would you answer? Like, where are you? You're in church. Where is your church located? Lake Wildwood. Where is Lake Wildwood located? In Macon, Georgia. See all the ends in there? There's a lot of ends in there. So here's the idea. When we're speaking of identity, our core identity is a slave of God. We're owned by God. And, and, and the reason, kind of the papers to our ownership is our location. So he's talking to how many of the saints? All the saints in a particular location, but all the saints where? In Christ Jesus. By the way, this is, this is a circular argument. Because if you're a saint, you're in Christ Jesus. If you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. And if you are a saint, you are in Christ Jesus. And if you're in Christ Jesus, you are a saint. Are you getting a circular reasoning here? One, The one defines the other. And it answers that question, where are you? So look at the rest of the sentence. To all the saints in Christ Jesus, who are where? Here's another prepositional, locative prepositional phrase. What does it say? Who are, who are where? In Philippi. So he's writing to this city, but he's not writing to everybody in Philippi. He is writing to a very select group of people who are, check this out, in Christ Jesus in the city of Philippi. Are you, are you tracking with that this morning? Those who are in Christ and are necessarily, therefore, saints. So he's writing to all the believers, all the saints. Who are in Christ Jesus that's just another way of saying saint who are located where in Philippi is he writing to all the saints everywhere in this particular letter physically as it goes to Philippi no it is he doing that for us through scripture absolutely so do you see that you're in Christ in Philippi not hard for me to understand that I am in Lake Wildwood in Lake Wildwood Baptist Church, in Macon, which is in the state of Georgia, in the country of United States of America. Anyone struggle with that? Anyone want to argue with me about that today? No, we do not. not. We get it. We should be just as comfortable with the fact that we are in Christ Jesus. And that because my identity is, is, is that of a saint, because I've been placed into Christ Jesus, that everything changes. I'm also a slave of God. That's what these things mean. The one thing leads to the other and they're all circular. Is that making sense this morning? Here's the, here's the reality. You are either in Adam or you are in Christ, and by the way, there's no third option. You're in Adam or in Christ, and there's no third option. And that's your identity. You're a son of Adam or a son of God, and those have massive ramifications. I'm just, uh, yeah. They're not. You're getting ahead of me. I'm getting there right now. <laughs> they are not. And there's, there's a reason they're mentioned. So we're going to get there. So here's the question today, deacon or not, are you in Christ? Are you? We're crucified with Christ, Paul said. And we're baptized into Christ. Now, when we, bat, that word baptized, baptizo, means to, to plunge under water. And here's the thing. There's nothing in there. In that matter of fact, it's a very strict verb. There's nothing in that verb that talks about coming out of the water. Now, we do that because we have a bunch of dead saints. If we did it, But the, 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 the word that Paul uses, because there's not a drop of water mentioned in Romans 6. Those of you who have been baptized into Christ, literally plunged into Christ to stay there. Right, you are submerged into Christ. That's so why we sang the song this morning. In Christ, I'm worthy. In Christ, I'm chosen and I'm loved. Right? In Christ, I'm sealed until the day that I wake up in my home above. It's all about where you are. So I have that question for you. Where are you today? Are you in Christ? And here's the last one Shepherd servants. Shepherd servants. He says with all the bishops the Greek word is episkopos which means elder, pastor, shepherd and deacons. All the bishops and deacons. So Paul and this is interesting, it's the only time he does it. He he has the same general greeting uh, but he never mentions pastors and deacons until here. And I'm just going to say this and move on. If you're a overachiever go ahead and read it this week and see if you can find it but these two distinct groups of people are mentioned and included for a specific reason that will become evident as we read the letter you'll you'll see why he mentions shepherds and deacons so they are saints who have been called to shepherd and serve the flock of god and the body of christ and I know what you're saying. You look at that and say, well, that's not me with the exception of a, a handful of you in here today. Uh, that's you, Pastor Paul and Pastor Jay and, and Deacon Tom and Deacon Paul. He, th- that part is just for you guys. No, no I want to I I say to you, not so fast. Because here's the reality. We're all leading and serving someone, aren't we? Down to the Youngest child with understanding in here, and I would probably say that's Jack. Jack is leading and serving someone because there's younger children in Jack's life, namely Joseph and Paul. And believe me, if you come to my house and those three are there, there is one ringleader, and it's Jack. And if Myra's there, it's Myra. <laughs> Myra and Jack battle fiercely for the role of leader. Right? But they're following you, Jack. They're doing what you do. And you're a leader. And God calls even Jackson to be a certain kind of a leader. A servant leader that doesn't demand his own way, but serves those who are following him. So we are all, in some sense, servant leaders. Husbands, you're called to lead your wives. You're called to do that from the identity of a servant. So here's here's the attitude that we're called to have as men in our homes and it's simply this I'm the lead servant in my home. So nobody in this house is going to outserve me. How's that going fellas? How's that working out for you? Are you walking in that type of obedience? If I brought your wives or children up here right now Would they say that that is an accurate description of how you live your life in your home? Let me put it to you this way. When you pull in the driveway, do they come running out the door or in the door? When you pull in the driveway, do they say, thank God it's dad or dear God it's dad? Now some of that's on them. But it's really weird in my house as I ask myself this question. There's only one in my home that comes running out the door with joy and that's Jack. The rest of them run in the door. And that tells me two things. They got a sin problem that they need to get right between them and God. (laughs) And number two, I got an attitude problem that I've got to get right between God, me, and them. Because if I'm a servant leader, they should all come running. With the exception of Elizabeth. She's too dignified to run. But she should be happy, and she is sometimes happy when I come home. Because literally, I walk in the door, it's like, Tag, you're it. I'm out of here. They're all yours. <laughs> no, she really doesn't do that. She is, she is so much of a better Christian in living out her identity than me. So we need to be the, are we the servants of our home. We need this mentality pressed into our thinking. And just in that word, saints, we have it. Just in that word, deacon or or elder, pastor, shepherd. By the way, guys, you're the pastor of your home. I am not called to pastor your home. You are. I asked a guy years ago, what if I told you that the spiritual health of your family was your responsibility, that I am your pastor, but you are the pastor of your wife and kids? And he said to me, then we'd all be in trouble. And instead of responding to that truth, he walked away from it and his family is destroyed today. Destroyed! Because he wanted to hand off that responsibility to me and God never gave that to me. I told him, I said, I will pastor you. You pastor them. It's God's order. Are we serving as an identity? You know, and this sounds good, BUT DO YOU KNOW WHAT THE DIFFERENCE BETWEEN SERVING AND BEING A SERVANT IS? ONE IS AN ACTION. SERVING IS AN ACTION. THE OTHER IS AN IDENTITY. ONE IS SOMETHING I DO. THE OTHER IS SOMETHING OR SOMEONE THAT I AM. SEE, HERE'S THE REALITY. I CAN DECIDE who I serve, when I serve, how I serve them, and here's the kicker, and for how long I serve them. Right? If I'm just serving. But if I am a servant, if that's my identity, I just serve, serve, and serve, and when I'm tired of it, you know what I do? I serve some more. Because it's not what I do, it's who I am. I am a servant. I'm the slave of God who is called to serve the people that God has put into my life. And I guarantee you that is not your attitude today. You know how I know? Because it's not always mine. And I'm calling us back to repentance over that. And here's why. It's in your best interest to embrace the identity of a servant. And by the way, Everybody wants to be a servant until you're treated like one. True or false? Right? Okay, you so say, I'm going to go home and I'm going to be a servant. And then you get treated like one. Someone comes to you with an expectation that you're going to do this, and you get offended. By the way, let me just say this right here. You you being offended at an opportunity to... To serve or be treated as a servant is a sign that you do not understand your identity. You've moved away from it. And I don't say this lightly. That is not easy. Um, that has happened to me. Yeah, you know, I, I, I had a neighbor one time that I de- determined we were going to serve this neighbor as a family. By we, I meant mostly my children. And there were, there were certain things I had them do every week for her. And then she did something really kind of not nice uh, to me. And I thought, well, you know what, lady? You're on your own. See, see how you like ser- doing all this stuff yourself. We're not, uh, we're not serving her anymore. And oh, the Holy Spirit jumped all over me about that. I mean, conviction, conviction, conviction. And I was down... Uh, Behind my house, where I have my grill, and I was cooking dinner, which I love to do, and I had a lot on that grill because I don't like to waste my pellets. I had some Scottish in me, and just as and I'm telling God on her, I said, God, can you believe? You know what she done? Look at all we've done for her. Look, look how she repays us. Well, see if, she could, see if she could do it all. I'm not doing this anymore. And God said, You know what you should do? You should, you should send some of them ribs over to her for supper. And I had a thought to myself, Over my dead, deadest body, will I do that? Mm mm. And oh, the conviction of God's Holy Spirit. And I'm standing over ribs weeping not out of my love for my neighbor out of my love for myself and how offended I am that God is making me do this I'm so mad I can't hold back my tears I'm like God did you miss what she did to me And God let me rant and rave like a madman under there for a while. And then in that sweet, calm voice of God, he said, Son, that is nothing compared to what you've done to me. And I said, Hickory or Mesquite, Lord? Which do you think she'd like better? And we sent ribs to her house for dinner. Oh, what a difference it makes. Is that your story? Do you have today, right now, this unearned favor of God that constantly gives you God's peace? Because here's the reality of this thing. We look at it right there. Slaves, saints, and shepherds, these describe and define our identity, who we are. This is the root of our lives. Are you with me? It's our core identity, all of it. But look at the next phrase. Look at the next thought here. It's simply this. Now we need to see the fruit of our identities lived out by a simple, obedient faith. And that's what it looks like, right? Right? Who have you been called to lead and to serve? And are you taking that seriously? It's a command from your master and your king. So I want you to see the fruit. Then we're done. I don't even have to spend a lot of time on this. But look 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 at the next phrase in the verse, in the next verse. So here it is. Paul and Timothy, the slaves of God, of Jesus Christ, to all the saints who are in Christ in Philippi, with the overseers, the elders, and the deacons. And here it is, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace and peace. I submit to you, this is the fruit of embracing the identity of a slave, a saint, and a servant. This is it. This is what happens. You get grace and peace. Now, grace... Uh, was a very typical Roman slash Gentile greeting. That's how they greeted each other. It wasn't, wasn't the word that Paul, Paul used a form of that word and shortened it to charis, but they used a little bit of a longer word. Whenever a Gentile or Roman would, would come into, what do we say today? Hey, Kevin, how you doing? Right? That, that's our typical greeting. In their day, they would use this longer version of this word charis that basically meant, hey, hope you're doing well. Or the idea was, hey, I hope the gods' favor are on you today. Not single god, little g, gods, plural. That's basically was the idea. I hope the favor of the gods is resting on you. Hey, I hope the favor of the gods is resting on you. And you would say back to me, and may the favor of gods rest upon you too. So Paul t- co-ops this word. He shortens it to mean something very different. And he uses this word, charis, which literally means this unearned, empowering favor. First of all, this is a favor, the favor, the, 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 the kindness of God that you do not earn. How many of you are glad that's true this morning? And it's also an empowering favor. You can't earn it, and it's packed with power to change everything about you. Now the typical Jewish greeting was the word Shalom still they still do it today if you're in israel today um, and you meet someone a jewish person they're going to they're going to greet you with the word shalom and it means peace the greek version of that is Irene, and it was a medical term you would see that in an orthopedic or doctor's office it was used to describe the setting and healing of a compound large bone fracture so imagine you break your leg you know, and it's a Joe Theismann break. Some of you remember that. I remember watching that on live TV when Joe Theismann's femur came popping out of his uniform. I almost threw up. Uh, that kind of a break. So it's used, this word iranee is used of not only setting that bone, but the entire process of healing to the point that when all of the setting and healing is done, the successful healing... Uh, was repaired and, 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 and restored, that which was broken, to make it literally stronger than when it wasn't broken. And it's not just putting it back together. It's putting it back together in such a way that that bone where it was broken is actually stronger than, when it, than before it was broken. It's the word for reconciliation. To reconcile, to bring two parties back together and to strengthen them. That's this word. And the order is important. Because listen to me, without grace, peace is not possible. Isn't that true? Without the unearned, empowering favor of Almighty God, you will never have any sense of peace with that God. And we know today that that unearned favor comes at a high cost, a high price. The blood of Jesus Christ, His body into which our sins sins were placed, through which our identity changed. The sinner died. The saint was resurrected with Jesus. Is this making any sense this morning? Without grace, it's impossible. And then here, lastly, we see the foundation of the fountain of this grace and peace. Look what the Scriptures say. As we look at this foundation of this grace and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. The Son paid for it the Spirit produces it, <clears throat> and the Father planned it. Think about it: the Father planned our rescue from the beginning of time. The Son paid for it at high price, and the Spirit produces it in us through His empowering, the empowering presence of God. I just have a question. Is that you? Does that look anything like you today? And I'm not saying that to beat you up. Is that your story? What are you relying on? And has it changed your life? And if it hasn't, you might have never truly been born again. And I'm not one of these people, I can't stand when people try to make you doubt your salvation that's not what i'm doing but oh brothers and sisters we need to we need to look at that is that your story do you have it today right now this unearned favor of god that empowers you constantly to embrace the identity of a slave that lives to serve you understand yourself as a saint do you enjoy this peace this reconciliation with god You who were dead in your trespasses and sins, Paul says in Ephesians 2, he made alive. Does that sound like you? We were estranged from God. We were sin filled, foul sinners, deserving nothing but the wrath of a holy God for all of eternity, but God. But God, who is rich in mercy. And the love with which He loved us. He made us alive together with Christ. And He seated us in heavenly places in Christ Jesus right now. Is that you? Do you know Him? Have you been born again? Do you know who you are? And do you know whose you are today? Are you longing for peace? I'm here to tell you, you cannot, will not, and must not find any kind of peace outside of the precious and power and grace of Almighty God. Almighty God, and where do we find that? It's right at the end of that scripture. We find that in the Lord Jesus Christ. By the way, do you know what that means? Lord means master. That should sound familiar today shouldn't it no wonder paul and timothy said hey we're just slaves of king jesus because they called him the lord he's the master you know what jesus means it means rescuer savior now that word savior has has been used so much that we don't appreciate it i like to use the word just to wake my senses up rescuer Instead of, instead, I've done this before and it really gets strange looks. You should try this this week. Go to someone that, that you know is a believer and say, hey, tell me about your rescue in Christ. Don't not say, hey, tell me about when you got saved. Tell me, when you, tell me about when you got rescued by Jesus. They're like, what? That's what the word means. The word Jesus, Yeshua, Joshua, literally means rescuer. And then Messiah is Christ. Lord, Master, Jesus, Rescuer, Christ, Messiah, King. When you see Christ, you need to think King. Coriós Christos. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Amen? He will not be dethroned by anybody. One day, and we're going to read it in here in chapter 2, one day every knee will bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Master, Lord, to the glory of God the Father. Right now, he is seated next to the throne of God Almighty on high as God is working through you and I to put all of the enemies of this king under his feet as a footstool. That's our job. It's expanding the kingdom by putting the enemies of Christ under his feet. So I want to ask you, is that your story? i got some homework. We're going to do it now. Two things. Number one, I want to challenge you to share your rescue story with somebody this week. Start at home. I was sitting around a fire the other night with my three youngest children. Part of it is a homework I've got for a trip I'm taking with Ben this summer. And I started to tell them some stories about the family. And it led, I said, well, I'll tell them again about my story when God rescued me. Here's the problem when you have a lot of kids. You forget who you told what. The truth. Because I I've, thought I've, they all know this story. The problem is I had told it to the older four, and apparently I would never told it to the younger four. So I told them about my, I don't know how many great she was. Mom could tell me. Uh, on mom's side of the family, I think it was his name was Gladys Ice, was it? Or who was she? whoever that, uh, the whose husband preached in the revivals in, in uh, northern New York and southern Canada. It was her whole story. It was it was very interesting. So I'm reading this thing. Someone in the family had typed it all out. It's fascinating. And I get to the end. I got like two pages left. And she's like 92 or three years old as she's writing this. Francis. That's it. And, and so she's, a, she's an old and so she's writing this. she's very in tune with the Holy Spirit and in her devotions one morning the Holy Spirit said to her you need to go back to one of those brush arbors where your husband used to preach up in the mountains of western New York it was a little camp out the brush arbor camp out there just had some poles and a roof on it and her husband used to preach And it overlooked West Point Military Academy West Point Lake and on the other side was the academy and um and, and just the Holy Spirit, just as clear as could be, told her, you need to get up there. 92, 93 years old. So she calls one of her children and gets this, her daughter to drive her up this mountain, several hours away, for no idea, just God said, go there. Boy, do we need some people to be that obedient to the Holy Spirit. Amen? So off she goes. She gets up there, 90-some years old, and she goes under that brush arbor where her husband used to preach the gospel. And she was remembering those days and how sinners would be convicted by the Holy Spirit. And then she walked out from underneath there and she went to what, there was a big granite boulder um, out there that overlooked the lake. And they called that Repentance Rock. And they would take these bereaved sinners out there onto Repentance Rock and they would get on their knees and repent of their sins and Confess faith in Jesus Christ, that Jesus is Lord. And so she went out to that rock and she stood there and said, Lord, here I am. What, what now? What now? And then all of a sudden she found herself praying. And the prayer was for generations of men and women from that family to be ardent lovers of christ preachers of the gospel missionaries people who would declare the gospel all over the world and for some time she stood there and prayed with tears this request before the lord and when she got done she got in her car and went home and what long later she was in the presence of the very god she prayed to he said what's that got to do with anything i want you to fast forward to August of 1982. Um, I came home from a week with my friend in New Hampshire with his very old and senile grandparents. And so we did everything (laughs) that we weren't supposed to do because they didn't know any better. And I got to live the life I finally thought I wanted to live. And I'll never forget the last day I was there. I was sitting at a park bench. I won't tell you exactly what I was doing. But I looked at myself and I said to myself, you know what, I thought this was it. And this is not it. I don't, I don't, this is not what I want to do. And I really thought it was. This freedom stinks. I was an angry, rebellious kid on the inside. I tried to hide that. And I went home and I got home to my parents' house and there's a suitcase and a sleeping bag. And I thought, oh my word, they found out. And they're kicking me out. I literally thought that. I thought, I'm getting kicked out of the house. How in the world did they know? We always thought mom and the Holy Spirit were one and she she knew everything. Come to find out, she would trick us into confessing all the time. And I have used that. Thank you very much for that little trick. It works. But anyway, I thought I'm getting kicked out. But instead, she said, no, don't, don't you remember? It's youth camp. The last place in the world i want to go after living free was youth camp that was like sending me to a concentration camp and i was so angry but off i went to camp life and it was not life let me tell you what that was a rough more mice first day mice and bats they either flew or crawled and they were everywhere my wife knows she went there as a kid too and uh, first first evening one of the little boys from the city that was with our church, he had to go to the bathroom. And of course, the bathrooms were all up the hill and there was no flushing toilets. It was all outhouses. And he was scared. I said, come on, I'll go with you. And we're headed up to the bathroom and he he, uh, takes a step and I hear a rattle. And I said, whatever you do, do not take your foot up. Kid has stepped on a rattlesnake. Which we killed while he was standing on it. And I'm like, this, this is stupid. What am I doing here? So I'm mad, and I'm making sure everybody knows I don't want to be there. Well, then, the fast forward. I'm miserable for two days. Wednesday night, the guy gets up there and preaches, and he said something Jay preached this morning. He said, a lot of you are going to miss heaven by 18 inches, this, from, from your head to your heart, because you know all about God, but you don't know him. And here's the worst part. He doesn't know you either. And he used that verse that haunted me that night. He said, many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, then we do all this good stuff for you, like miracles. And and he will say to them, depart from me, you lawless ones, you workers of iniquity. What was it, church? I never knew you. You. The conviction of the Holy Spirit was all over me. And I said, that's me. That is me. There was one snag. I was so good at playing the professional church kid game that in the Christian school I went to, attached to my church, I was given the trophy about this high, Outstanding Male Christian of the Year. And I thought, how in the world can I go forward when I'm the best Christian in the youth group? But you know, there's a funny thing. There's a little song we sing that talks about Jesus standing at the door and knocking. Which, by the way, that verse in Revelation has nothing to do with salvation. (laughs) But I'll use it. As I stood there, white-knuckled, in that chair the guy gave the invitation Jesus for me didn't knock he was like a DEA agent he kicked the door open and said I'm here you're a sinner you're mine he arrested my heart in a moment I realized my offense against the holy God I don't know how I did it up to then other than it wasn't my time I knew all the verses I had scriptures memorized I had it all figured out. I could lead you to Christ. And I wasn't even a Christian. Jace got the same testimony. He got saved on a mission trip. But all that night, I realized what I had done. And that I was in trouble with a holy God. And that none of my good deeds were going to account for anything. As a matter of fact, they were going to speak against me. And I deserved eternity under the wrathful hand of, of an almighty God. And I almost... Was crushed beneath the weight of that incredible conviction. And when I thought I could not bear it any longer, I literally, in my mind's eye, I could see this form on a cross. And I literally saw all of that, those. Those good works which were horrible, I saw them literally placed into Jesus Christ, and the wrath of God poured down on the sinless Lamb of God on the cross, and I realized it's for me he died. And I didn't just step out, I ran down that aisle. And we had a counselor, we called him Uncle Fred. And Uncle Fred grabbed me, he took me outside of the building. and I knelt down on what they called repentance rock the same place that Francis Ice stood decades and decades before and on that very rock where my ancestors stood and begged God for men and women who would love him and declare his truth I confessed my sin and I put my faith in my savior And just as I am now, unable to control my emotions, I didn't control them the other night at the fire. And I said, that's not the end of the story. Forty miles away, just over the ridge in the next valley, hundreds of churches gathered their youth for a youth conference to train their children and their teenagers in discipleship. And the first day that Monday the last day of July 1982 the leader of that meeting got up and he challenged every young person in there to begin that day to pray every day for their future spouse. Specifically that God would save them. (laughs) Amen. And that God would call them inextricably to himself. And that God would Begin the process of sanctification and discipleship in their life. And Ben, sitting over there on the across the fire from me, goes, says, "Yep." And that girl was mom. And he was joking around. I said, "It was." He said, "No way! I was just making a joke." Mom was praying for you three days before you got saved. I said, "Absolutely." July, th- last day of July. Was it thirtieth or thirty first? 31st of July, 1982, that woman right there began to pray for her future husband who was 40 miles away running as fast as he could away from God. But I had a great, great, whatever great, grandmother and a future wife that had prayed and were praying for me. And I stand here today because of those, the grace of Almighty God and two women who knew how to pray. And when I finally got through that, and, and as you can probably tell, it's hard for me. I'm not one of those people that can have, there's some people that are beautiful criers. I'm so jealous of you people. You can cry, and it's just, you can still talk, and it's a beautiful, I only know how to ugly cry. I mean, I'm, I'm the king of the ugly cry, and I was ugly crying around that fire. Just, just because God's so good. And I look up, and there's my Emma. And she has tears in her eyes. And she says, Daddy, that needs to be a book. <laughs> you need to write a book about that. <laughs> what I did, I just shared my story. And at that, that day, I became a son of God, and his slave, and a servant to everybody. And when I live out that identity, it is amazing the difference. Share your story this week. That's your homework number one. Share it with your kids if you got them. You say, Preacher, I don't really know if I got a story. Get with me today. If you really can't think of a story of how God turned you from a sinner to a saint, we got to get that right. And we can. God's just that good. Here's the second thing I want you to do, and we're done. I'm going to ask you to do this as homework right now before communion is I want you I learned to do this a long time ago mostly with the Psalms but it works in in all of Scripture right now we're going to pray through these two verses and I want you to do that every day this week matter of fact I want to challenge you here Um, Philippians is short you're going to see next week we're going to read the whole thing it's like seven minutes. It'll take you seven minutes to read a whole letter, not a long letter. I would, I would urge you to begin now until we're done with Philippians, to read it every day. And then I want you to pray through whatever text we've covered in church the previous Sunday. So this week it'll be verses 1 and 2. You say, how do I, how do I pray through that? It's really easy. It goes like this. Father God... I'm your slave you own me you're my master and Jesus you're my king I challenge you to pray that prayer and what's going to come right behind it is how many times this week that's not been true of me and my actions and you know what you get to do then I'm sorry God I sure lived for myself a lot this week didn't I thank you that you have forgiven that sin too and it's under the blood of Jesus You made me a saint. You shared a description that only describes you holy. And you shared that with me. You call me holy. Without sin. A holy one. A saint. And you know I sin. And yet, all of that sin is under the blood of Jesus. And you only see Jesus when you look at my record wow, I'm a saint, and I want to live like one. Help me to see myself as a saint today, Lord. And help that to flesh itself out in my life, that I'd be a servant leader to my wife, to my children, at my work, to my students on Monday. And then pray for each of the persons that God has put in your life to be a servant leader to. And then end with praising God for his grace. Oh, how I love your grace. It really is amazing. Newton got it right when he wrote the song. And Lord, I fear that I've gotten over your grace. I fear that I could sit here in church and I could sing amazing grace and in Christ and a tear never even moisten my eye. Help me. I've gotten over grace. Please let grace get all over me so that I stop getting over it. That's a good prayer. And all the peace that comes from being completely right with you and restored to you. Thank you that though I was so far from you, not only did Jesus Christ through his death, burial, and resurrection put us back together, but I'm stronger than I ever could have been because I'm right with you. And that peace is beautiful. Thank you for it. Bible says we should examine our hearts before we take the Lord's table. I want you to examine it by praying through. I'm a slave. I'm a saint. I'm a servant leader. Thank you for your grace. Help me to live in your peace. Those five things. Pray them now in your heart to God. Walk them through and do it every day this week. Let's pray. I'll give you some time to pray that between you and God. Father God to be owned by you what a crazy statement I pray that the offense of that will find its way out of my life and my heart and I'll be more like those first century Christians who look at that with a a, a true measured sense of delight because of what it means it means I'm not in charge anymore and there's a lot of stuff I I get to quit worrying about because you own me because you own me you'll never leave thank you that I am your bond slave that you gave me the desire to choose it <laughs> the reality of that really come to the front of my thinking may I never forget the price with which you bought me though I can never understand it, may I never stop trying. I thank you that I'm a saint. I don't know how many times this week, Lord, I thought of myself as a sinner. I want to stop getting that wrong. I I, I want to call myself what you call me, a beloved son, a holy one. Because I know the more I understand my true identity—the more I'll live it out through Your Holy Spirit. I really want to do that, and Lord, You have gifted me the role of a servant leader, starting with Elizabeth. Lord, it's hard now to serve that woman, but I want to, and I want You to help me figure out how to do it. I want you to help me stop expecting my children to be servants when I refuse to be one myself and show them what it looks like. Forgive me for that. Forgive me for expecting something I'm not willing to do myself in my home. Thank you for your grace. Thank you that you didn't ask me to earn it because I never could. And I thank you for the empowering portion of your grace that I don't really understand, but I want to experience it more and more. That this unearned favor fires me up and gives me strength where I'm weak. Thank you for your peace. The peace that passes all understanding because I'm set right with you. may I remember what it cost to put me back together with you that my sins had to be literally placed into Jesus and that somehow in six hours on that cross he paid for an eternity of my debt I don't want to forget that but I want to live in the peace that he bought for me as he changed my identity and pay for my sin. Make that real to us as we come today. Forgive me, forgive me, forgive me for getting over the rescue that you did for me back in August of 1982. Help me never get over it. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, you know our process here, there's nobody that has not been for communion. So uh, we're going to sing a song. I think Joseph and Courtney are going to come. It's our hymn of the month, by the way, and we want you to sing this at home. We'll sing it at every service. Um, And I'm going to invite you all to come and get your elements, hold on to them, and we'll serve, we'll take them together when everybody's been served and we're done singing. So just hang on to these elements. Little children, uh, you know, that's up to parents. They need to be, have made a profession of faith, have believed on Christ and repented of their sins and be walking in some measure of obedience with you. Um, And if you've done that yourself and been baptized, you come on. And we're going to celebrate and remember. But remember, this changes who we are. This reminds us of the change. And This helps us to not get over it. May we repent of that this week. Love this. Again, I didn't pick this. This was Courtney. Marvelous grace of our loving Lord. Imagine that. Grace, folks. And peace through God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Let's sing. Andy, you can start us off. Come and get your elements. And then we'll go down this row and up this one.
1: grace of our loving grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt yonder on Calvary's mount grace freely bestowed on all who believe. You that are longing to see His face, will you this moment His grace receive? Grace, grace, God's grace. And cleanse with Him Grace, grace, God's grace Grace that is greater than
0: all I've seen. Aren't you glad His grace is greater than your sin? I love when Paul says in Romans, he said, where sin abounded, and doesn't it? What do you say about grace? <laughs> Literally, in the in Greek, it's super <laughs> God's grace is so much more than your capacity to sin. Isn't, it? isn't that not marvelous? You know, and this thought hit me one day I can't outsend the grace of God. And that's like I heard the voice of the Lord say, then stop trying. <laughs> Amen? Stop trying. So we come. First thing Jesus did was took the bread and broke it and he passed it out. And he said, this is my body given for you. And it didn't make much sense to them, but we understand now thanks to Peter. Peter writes in his epistle that our sin, he bore our sin... Listen to these words, and it's very specific, in his body, on the tree. Just like that Old Testament daddy placed his hands on the head of that lamb, the sin of his, himself and all of his minor family, I say minor, at the age of 12, a young man would stand by himself before God. But the people in his home, All the sin was transferred onto that lamb. And then that very man himself took a sharp blade and cut the throat of that little animal. And the priest would catch the blood in a bowl. He would hold that lamb as its body shuddered. His life's blood poured out of it and it died. Sin is terrible. Sometimes I wonder if we shouldn't go back to reenacting that. Because I guarantee you, you'd think differently about sinning, wouldn't you? Well, let me tell you something, much, something much worse happened than that. The precious Lamb of God had your sin placed into Him. And he died. When He died, you died. When He was buried, you were buried. And get this, when He rose again, so were you. To walk in newness of life, Paul says. What happened? I went in a sinner. I came out a saint. He bore our sins in his body so the sinner could die, so that the saint could live. May we eat and remember. Without the shedding of blood, there's no remission of sins. We got a much better deal than those Old Testament saints. They uh, they got their sins pushed forward. One year. Ours are as far as the east is from the west. Amen. Remember that little chorus we used to sing? Oh,
1: the blood of Jesus. Oh, the blood
0: of Jesus. Oh, the blood of Jesus. It washes white as snow. There's nothing left out. All of our sins are washed. They're not covered. They're washed. Past, present, and future. We're holy. May we drink and remember. Amen.